You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So, this morning is Trinity Sunday, which means that we are going to be spending some time thinking about and contemplating the nature of the Trinity, of the God that we know as three in one. And anytime we talk about contemplating God, I think that there's a, even a little bit of question of, of why do we do that? Why do we enter into this thinking about God? J.I. Packer has a classic book, Knowing God. Probably many of you have, have read it. Um, and in the first chapter, there is, he gives an excerpt of one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons that he uses to open up the topic of this contemplation of God. And in the... Ex, in the uh, um, at the risk of appearing unoriginal, I'm going to quote from the same sermon that J.I. Packer does to, to enter into this topic of the contemplation of God. It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, and then we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a wild ass's colt. And with solemn exclamation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. Spurgeon goes on to talk about how it doesn't just humble the mind, but it also lifts our mind up. It also consoles us that there are are many reasons that we enter into this contemplation of God. But certainly when we talk about coming to contemplate the nature of the Trinity, that humbling aspect is at the forefront. There is probably no part of understanding the nature of God and understanding who he is that is more difficult to really truly grasp and then the nature of the Trinity, that we say we serve one God in three persons. And we come up with all sorts of analogies to try to describe what that means and why, what, how we, uh, what we're talking about when we say that, but they all fall short of the reality. And they leave us with the sense that we don't quite understand or grasp. Yet we hold it to be true that we, we have this claim that the great Shema of Deuteronomy 6 is true. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one, while also stating that God has revealed to himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love that we reintroduced that summer gloria today, and introducing it on Trinity Sunday is perfect because it it entered into this sense of worship of, of God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But as we enter into that mystery, as we come to the subject of the Trinity and talking about it, I think it's tempting to just throw up our hands and say, this mystery is beyond me. 
Let me leave such things to the church fathers who formed the early creeds. I'll speak them and say them and, and hold to the belief that God is three and God is one, but I won't really work any more than that to try to understand what that means. It's just too confusing. It gives me a headache. There's some wisdom in this approach. The Trinity is a mystery, and none of our attempts to explain it will be complete. We cannot wait until we have fit God into our minds, until we grasp and understand fully what this means before we choose to believe, or we will never come to faith. But if we just stop thinking about him because the subject is difficult, including his nature as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we are missing out on a gift that is ours by right. God invites us to know him as the three in one. And even if we will never comprehend this fully, there is much to be gained by allowing our minds to dwell upon his nature. I've pretty much given up hope of ever becoming an expert musician. But that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy plucking on my mandolin, that there's not joy to be found in that experience. As a child of God, it is right to think about your father, even if your mind cannot comprehend him fully. And you were created to know him. You were created to be in relationship with him. And so it is in this contemplation of God, as you turn your mind to him, that there is hope of finding your deepest and most satisfying joy. Knowing who God is, including knowing his triune nature, can also help to make sense of this world that we live in. Everything around us has been created by God. And without knowledge of him, it can seem at times that the world is a confusing or even cruel place. But the more we know of God, his nature, his character, and his redemptive purposes, the greater will be our understanding and hope in the midst of a difficult world. And this, again, means that we enter into the contemplation of God as the three-in-one, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we set out to do so today, we will turn to the scriptures. This is not a subject we can approach just by plain philosophy, that we can reason our way to an understanding of who God is. The only way that we can truly know God, who is so vast and great above us, is to look at how he has revealed himself to us. And so we turn to his word that he has given us, to, that he has reached down and shown himself to us as the Father. Let's begin with our Old Testament reading from Exodus, where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Obviously, in this Old Testament, Old Testament text, we're not going to find explicit mention of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, it's important to remember that Christ was there. God did not become three in one. He did not become triune when Jesus was born as a little baby. This is his eternal nature. So anything that we learn about God as we go back and study the works of the Old Testament, we are learning about the Trinity. We are learning about the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Though the reading from this morning was not very long, it's packed, dense, with a lot for us to observe and learn about God just in these few verses. When Moses approaches the burning bush, he's taken by curiosity and, and approaches it to see what's happening. And he hears the voice spoken from the bush that tells him to take off 
do not come near. Take off your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. One of the first things we learn about God in this encounter is that this God that we serve is holy. We talked a week or two ago about what that means when we say that God is holy. That we are talking about a God who is other, separate, different than anything in the created order. This is evident even as the bush itself is aflame and yet not consumed. It doesn't follow all the natural rules of creation because God is other, separate, and different than the created order. And at the same time, when God comes down and he meets us in the midst of his creation, he makes holy those things that are around him. So the the ground on which Moses is standing, the very ground that he approaches the Lord on, is holy. It is set apart. It is no longer just the normal stuff of creation because this is a place where God is encountered. And then God reveals himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in this naming of himself by his relationship with these patriarchs, and in his very encounter with Moses, another thing that we see from the very beginning is that this God whom we serve, the God who is three in one, is also a relational God. It's important that we don't take this for granted. Sometimes we think of the holiness of God as as something that keeps him apart and separate. And it is. The holiness of God makes him distinct from creation, but God has also seen fit to enter into relationship with human beings. His holiness is not something that prevents him from having these encounters, from having these words that are spoken, from having these relationships with people. God is at his very nature a relational God. He has created us to be in relationship with him. And as well, as we come to study God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit internally, He is eternally relational. The relationship of love that there exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is forever. And we cannot separate our understanding of God from our understanding of God in relationship. As He further reveals Himself to Moses, be a little bit beyond the edge of, of the reading that we enjoyed today, It's in this meeting at the burning bush that God gives Moses a name by which the people can call him. In verse 13, Moses asks God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God answers, I am who I am. And then the same word that that means I am in Hebrew, the the word to to be, he modifies it slightly in verse 15 to actually make it into the name of God that is used throughout the Old Testament, Yahweh. Uh, Not written out fully, but just with the letters usually Y-H-W-H. And in our Bible, it's usually just translated as the Lord. Because as the, the people who... Uh, The Hebrews who kept the the Old Testament saw that name is so holy that it was not to be spoken aloud. So any time that they came to reading it, they would just say, the Lord. This name points to God, further understanding God as the one whose existence is eternal and unconditional. 
He is independent of all created things. Everything else is, is contingent. Everything else depends upon Him, but God is not. He is forever. He is. His very essence is the essence of existence. And it's also important in that that he gives us that as a name to call him. He's not just an abstract idea. God is not some higher power without a name. God gives himself a name to be known by so that we can actually know him. He's personal. God reveals himself as a person in these encounters with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and in this encounter with Moses. We look to the God who is relational, personal, eternal, and holy. And also in this encounter with Moses, he reveals himself as the God who is saving his people. The very work of God is the work of salvation. In verse 17, he says, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. He's come down because he has heard the cry of the Israelites. And he goes on to describe how he is going to do this work, this work of salvation, how he is going to bring the plagues upon Pharaoh, that he is going to change his heart, that he is going to bring his people out so that they can worship him. For us who live within a broken world, we cannot know God apart from the knowledge that God is the one who saves, and there is no salvation apart from him. So in this encounter with Moses, again, we see a God who is holy, but holy in a way that makes those things around him holy. We see a God who is relational, entering into relationship with, the, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. We see a God who is personal, who gives us a name by which he might be known. We see a God who is eternal and independent. And we see a God who is doing the work of salvation for his people. 1,500 years later, give or take, when the disciples walked with Jesus, they saw these same qualities in this man from Nazareth. Like God, Jesus was holy. Not in a holiness that was contingent and dependent upon him following all of the, the strict rules of the law. Not where he's putting boundaries and, and holding himself back from people as the Pharisees did. They desired to be holy as well. And they did it by, by taking the lines that God had drawn and given in his laws and, and taking another step back so that they wouldn't accidentally cross over the line as they were trying to live in this life of holiness. But Jesus had no fear of that because Jesus was intrinsically holy. When Jesus healed on the Sabbath and the Pharisees looked and said, what are you doing? You're desecrating the Sabbath. Jesus said, no, when I do this on the Sabbath, the Sabbath is holy. When Jesus took bread and broke it and handed it out to crowds, the disciples said, what are you doing? This is, this is just bread. And Jesus said, no, this is bread that I have given thanks for and offered to my Father, and so it is more than bread, and it is enough for everyone here in this crowd. When Jesus came to the, the wedding at Cana and he blessed the water and it turned to wine, again, the stuff of the world, when it encounters Jesus, becomes set apart. It becomes special and useful for a purpose. And we see this perhaps most of all in the way that Jesus had encounter after encounter with those who the world looked at as unclean. 
If someone came in contact with a leper, they had to go and ritually cleanse themselves and, and present themselves to the temple to show themselves that they were clean and that they had not contracted leprosy. But when Jesus came in contact with the leper, they were made clean because the holiness is part of who he was. He was not concerned about becoming unclean because he's intrinsically holy and everything that comes in contact with him is in made holy. It is made set apart. It becomes something that belongs to God. And as the disciples walked with him, they found that working in their own character, their own selves, they found themselves being people who were set apart for the mission and purposes of God. Jesus, in his encounter with everything that he came in contact with in his ministry, makes things holy because he is holy. And again, Jesus did all of this in the context of relationship. He gathered men and women who followed around him, who listened to his teaching, who sat at his feet. He got condemned again by the Pharisees who were concerned about crossing that line for, being, for walking into the midst of people and saying, I have come to heal the sick. I have come to eat with the sinner, to bring them back to God. Because I know what my Father's work is. And my Father's work is one that is born out of love. My Father's work is one of salvation, of calling people back to himself. And I am about the same work that my Father is about. He was in relationship with the Father as well. The time that he spent, we, we see it as it, it's a... a word that is spoken against our current age, that Jesus would take time out of the busyness, about the, the crowds that would press in upon him, that he would step away and go away to be alone with the Father. Because he saw this relationship with the Father as, as the most important thing that he could be doing for the work that he had to do. Jesus showed us what it is to love God and to love his neighbor. And then in passages like we read today in John 3, he revealed himself to be eternal, just as the Father is eternal. In verse 13, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He points to the fact that he is, is not contingent and created in the way that everything else was, that he has been in heaven, that he has been with the Father, and he has come down And of course, even more explicitly in John 3, verses 16 and 17, he points to himself as the one who saves. Just as the Father revealed himself as the one who works for salvation, Jesus revealed himself as the one who works for the salvation of God's people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The work of salvation originated, originates with the Father, but it is affected. It is put into practice through the work of the Son. It is, of course, ultimately we point to the cross, to the death and then the resurrection of Jesus as the moment where our salvation was accomplished. But it's Jesus working in perfect unity with the Father to accomplish our salvation. Jesus is not the Father, but in character and essence, he, his will matches up. We see that in, his, in the absolute unity of his will in the work of salvation. We see it in moments like in John 14, 9, which we read 
about a month ago, um, where Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. There is an undeniable unity between Jesus and the Father, and yet they are not exactly the same. They are the same in the sense that if you see Jesus, you have seen the Father, but they are distinct in that Jesus can talk to the Father, that he can talk about his relationship with the Father, that he can guide us into a relationship with the Father. And as these disciples spent more and more time with Jesus, they came to recognize these divine qualities in him. And this man who was their teacher, this man who was, they had followed throughout the land of Galilee, and after his death and his resurrection, they saw vindication that Jesus' claim to be one with the Father was, in fact, true. And so these faithful Jews had to wrestle with how they could reconcile this idea of God's self-revelation as the one with Jesus who is Lord, with Jesus who looks just like the Father. They came to understand it further when the Spirit was poured out upon them at Pentecost. Again, we call the Spirit the Holy Spirit. The nature of the Spirit is that He is holy. But also, just as importantly, we call the Spirit the Holy Spirit because in His encounter with us, He makes us holy. Again, we find where God chooses to dwell, that place is made holy. God himself is never, cannot ever be tainted. He cannot ever be made unclean, but he makes things clean. And the Holy Spirit dwelling in God's people makes us clean. Again, we find that the Spirit is relational. In our reading from Romans chapter 8 this morning, it says that the Spirit is the one who leads us to cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit is in relationship with God and brings us into relationship with God as He dwells in us. The Spirit is personal. Throughout the Scriptures, the Spirit is referred to as He. In the Greek word, in the Greek, there are... uh, you know, words that have, have genders to them, but the word spirit would normally be a one that is a, a word that is a neuter word. It has no gender to the word. But the spirit of God is referred to as he because it is not an it. It is not just this abstract thing that is sent down to us. It is a person who is, has come to live with us and dwell with us. The Spirit is eternal, and He does the work in us of giving us eternal life. And in so doing, He again, He works with the Father and the Son for our salvation. The salvation that originated with the Father and came to fruition in the Son is communicated to us through the Spirit. So that we can become people who are holy, that we can be set apart, that we can enter into this relationship with God that He desires for us to have. And I know that, in a sense, all of this sounds a bit abstract. We, of course, can't completely unwrap the mystery of the Trinity in a short Sunday morning sermon. But this is still important for our life as Christians. It's essential for us to know that this is who God is. There are several reasons why it's very important for us to contemplate and to continue to think about this, what it is to know the God who is three in one. Because first of all, 
there is no God apart from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we can act as if God is perhaps a, a category, a thing, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just sort of individual aspects of that. But we cannot know God without knowing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's kind of like you can't know my family, you can't know the Rand family, apart from knowing actual people who are in it. There's no such thing as the Rands apart from the people that are part of the Rands. There is no such thing as God apart from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the only way that we can know him. And we know him as holy. We know him as relational. We know him as personal and eternal. We know him as the one who is working for our salvation. And we see all of these aspects in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to make us in those aspects as well. This is what it means to, be, to have salvation, is that God is making us holy just as He is holy. Elsewhere in Scripture, He gives us the command, Be holy as I am holy. And apart from Him, we have no hope of doing that. But because He gives us His Spirit to work in us, we are being made holy as He is holy. God is eternal, and He is bringing us to eternal life. This is the promise of, of Jesus in John 3.16, that he's come that we might have eternal life. Jesus is bringing us into relationship with the Father. We've seen this again and again in our gospel readings in this season as we've read from the Gospel of John and, and the words that he speaks to his apostles. This is the goal of Jesus, is to bring us into a relationship with the Father in the same way that he had a relationship with the Father. Jesus is taking these qualities of God, this holy, relational, personal, eternal God, and he is giving them to us through the work of salvation that he has accomplished on the cross, through the work that the Father has purposed, through the gift of the Spirit in our lives. This is who he has called you to be. And you cannot do it apart from him. He's inviting you into the same eternal relationship that the God has shares within itself, that this eternal relationship of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is something that he is inviting us into, and so he is making us fit for that purpose so that we can be holy, so that we can be known as, as real, true people in our being, in our relationship with God, that we can become um, eternal forever with God through the act of his salvation. This is what we are as the children of God, as his church. So this is what we cling to when we look to and contemplate the nature of the God who is three in one. We remember that this is who he is. This is how he has revealed himself to us. This is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working for our salvation to bring us up into that relationship so that we too can enjoy the eternal love that passes between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.